0: You know, we're going to continue today in our look at uh, the spiritual laws of the kingdom. And uh, as you know, we've been talking about the fact that these laws that we're talking about are laws of the entire universe that God has made and that they will wind up manifesting themselves, whether you uh, are God's or not, because They are the laws of his kingdom and his universe. They're the laws of his creation. And uh, the one that we're looking at today is going to be uh, the law of greatness. And this is one of those that ties in with all of those that have uh, gone on before, especially the law of reciprocity, as you'll see toward the end of our talk today. Now, as far as greatness goes, I think nearly every one of us, there may be a minor exception, but all of us really desire greatness in some way or the other, uh, to some degree. Now, to some more than others, let's face it, uh, in that, but the reason why is because God has placed a sense of destiny in the hearts of every one of us. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, we read that he has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. It's just there. We all have this sense that we're put here for a reason, that God has put us in his creation for a purpose, and that somehow, We were meant for eternity. All that is just inculcated within us by God himself. Now, the sad thing is, is that because of the fall, that thing that's a part of his very image has been smudged miserably. And as we uh, become self-centered and self-serving and self-seeking, instead of God-centered, God-serving, and God-seeking, we wind up in a place to where we're just like the devil himself and want to put ourselves on God's throne. We want to be the center of our universe. And we think that everything around us ought to line up with the way that we want it to be. And we can get very frustrated with life And let's face it, with God, if you believe any, uh, if things aren't going the way that you think they ought to go. And so, uh, because we've been tainted by pride and self-seeking and self-centeredness, we become twerps, if you'll just pardon the expression. Uh, Just stop and think of it. Timothy Keller said, There's nothing that makes you more miserable or less interesting than self-absorption. Isn't that true? I mean, the more somebody talks about themselves, the less you really want to listen to them, don't you think? That's just the way it goes. So uh, anyway, so this is one of those things, uh, just like it says in Scripture, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, and the end thereof is destruction. Apart from God, the things that we desire and want and try to get the most are the very things we wind up ultimately really denying ourselves in the best form. Now, Jesus warned about how this fallen, self centered, self seeking for greatness uh, was easy to fall into, even in the church. He called it the leaven of the Pharisees, and we read about it first in the uh, 23rd chapter of uh, Matthew, beginning with the first verse. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them a rabbi. But you are not to be called a rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. Now listen to this line, and this is the law. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In Luke 14:7, we read this beginning there, we read these words. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable: "When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. Now listen to this line. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Does that sound familiar? Same same thing in a different setting. So that's two times Jesus has said those words. Then we read this story. Uh, From Luke, the 18th chapter, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. Let's say it together this time. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. One more time for good measure, now that we've all got into it, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's three times in three different settings that Jesus uses the exact words. Notice I didn't say exact same words. I think that's a first for me. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm still working on my grammar and I'm 71 years old. Exact words. The same words. Well, uh, Jesus, you think he's trying to get something across to everybody in several different settings. He's made this clear to them. Now then, uh, this is uh, so important. Now, as I said, even the disciples found themselves falling into this and Jesus had to call them out of this thinking about being self-centered and self-serving, several times there was a, a one time whenever he called them together, or, or they were or they they came up to him and said, "Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God?" And he told them as he took a child, he put the child in front of him, and he used the child as an example. On another occasion. He caught them arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest. And again, he chided them and he took a child and he said, This this is what it's like to be great in the kingdom. There was a time whenever the mothers of two of them came to Jesus And she was wanting the Lord to give them special places, uh, uh, special seats whenever he came into his kingdom. And sometimes mothers do have ambitions for their children. Let's face it. Fathers do too. And uh, that gets back. I just want to do it a little kind of an aside, but not really. Because parents have so much to do with how their children are going to handle this humbling themselves before God and being exalted by Him as opposed to self-exaltation. Sometimes uh, parents can ride their kids so so hard and, uh, uh, and, and with negative criticism trying to make them better, beat them down. To where all they hear are their parents saying is, You're never gonna to amount to anything. You never can't do anything right. Because they never give them any praise. There are other parents that will do just the opposite, and they will praise a kid for the wrong thing, and they will, you'll wind up with, with kids that are so puffed up and full of themselves. That, that you just don't want to be around them. Let's face it. They, they just exemplified that song about, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. You know, there are kids that get raised where they really can't do diddly. And they think that they are just the best thing since apple pie. And they're in for a rude awakening when they get into the world. And let's face it, there are many. In this society today, who were raised in this environment to where uh, they can't handle work. They can't handle someone giving them a job to do. They want a position. You know, they don't want to start at the bottom and work their way up. They just want to be given the position and the pay. And uh, don't think they ought to have to work for anything. It all ought to be handed to them on a silver platter. Well, those sorts of things help fire or fuel, you might say, uh, this problem of uh, self-exaltation. And so parents, you have a duty, but it's not to make your kids be the way you want them to be. Your duty is that you have been entrusted some little human beings that are helpless and they need guidance and they need direction and they need your mentoring and they need your help in becoming who God wants them to be. They need your help in discovering who God made them to be. They need your help in helping them to realize that sense of destiny and purpose that God has placed within their hearts that's going to line up perfectly with their gifts and graces and talents or even lack thereof in the world today. They need you to look on them as your responsibility given to you by God. They're entrusted to you in faith. And he has had faith in you that you're going to raise them the right way. He expects you to. Now, the thing is, into this fallen world where so many people are seeking first their own kingdom, Jesus tells us and he announces that he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come to help each one of us, adults and children alike, to reclaim that sense of purpose and destiny. And if you've been on the wrong track, if you've been living in the wrong kingdom, he wants to help you. Get out of the kingdom of the world. And he calls us all to quit leaving or living in that kingdom of the world where full of self-aggrandizement and self-centeredness and self-seeking and to come on over into his kingdom. He calls us to come and be his and to quit living by the standards of the world and to start living the life that He created us to live. Now, uh, every time that He uses a a child to talk about the Kingdom of God, you can see something there. Whenever He tells, tells us that we need to be like little children, He's not saying we need to be whiny. He's not saying we need to be... Uh, rebellious. That's not what he's talking about. There's a quality to children. And you'll see it when they come down front for children's sermons. And there's three things that Jesus was wanting to lift up to us. And they're so important. And the first one is trust. That's the first one. We, we, We teach our kids, sad to say, many times not to trust The world teaches us not to trust, but we need to reclaim that. And who we need to trust more than anything else and anyone else is God himself. Trust, teachability, and humility. Those three things. I'll I'll begin with humility. And uh, I was thinking about this last night and it dawned on me that I really think true humility before God begins is whenever you realize that there is a God and it's not you. That's whenever you really begin to understand what humility is. And many times it comes where, when we bottom out, where we've done all that we can and it hasn't been enough and there's nothing left that we can do. And yet the Lord won't just take us home. We still have to get on. And so, at those times, I don't know how many times I prayed, Lord, I have made a total mess of things. All I can say now is please bless this mess and then take one step at a time, following Him, moment by moment, day by day, just giving Him each minute and as I've done so, he's led me out of the mess that I've made of my life. So believe that there is a God and he's not you, but that he is the one who created you and uh, he is the one who can handle things and he can handle anything that you're facing right now. I really think another thing that's so important And being able to be humble before God is for him to reveal himself to us in some way. If you'll look in Scripture, you'll see that the man who was called in the Bible, the meekest man in the world, was Moses. One who was raised in Pharaoh's uh, palace. One who could have had uh, everything his way. But he chose to side and to step into alignment with God and God's people, even though it put him at odds with the ruler of Egypt. And do you remember when he really began to know God and to follow God? When God revealed himself in a burning bush. When God revealed himself to Moses, Moses began to get humble. And if you look through scripture, you'll see that's when humility comes. Look at Peter. Whenever uh, uh, he was out in the boat, whenever he first met Jesus, and Jesus told him to cast his net over here, and he pulled it in. Same place he'd been fishing and caught anything, and he pulls in a net full of fish. It's more than he could even handle. And all of a sudden he realizes who Jesus is. In whose presence he is. And what does he do? He falls on his face in the boat before Jesus. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. You notice Jesus didn't depart. He could have walked on out across the water, but he didn't, did he? He stayed right there with Jesus, mean, with Peter, and Peter wound up ultimately becoming a fisher of men and becoming one who later says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting all your cares on him, that he might exalt you in due season, for he cares for you. Well, Paul. Paul was a prideful Pharisee of the Pharisees, wasn't he? And he was so religious that he killed people. That's how religious he was. And then when did he wind up becoming humble before God? (coughs) When Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Now, John... At, uh, the, in the Re- book of Revelation, stand, he comes and he encounters Jesus and he falls flat on his face. He's humbled. Whenever Jesus reveals himself, we can't help but be humble. And he has promised to do that to every one of us. Did you know that? There's not a one of us that doesn't have that promise. He said, if you love me, You will keep my commandments, and I will love you, and my Father will love you, and I will reveal myself to you. That is a promise to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, to everyone here, and to everyone listening around the world. He will reveal himself to you. Parents, grandparents, husbands, wives, leaders, followers, your prayer for everyone. And, I, I, and really, I think the prayer for our nation should be that the Lord would reveal himself. In nations, it's whenever God has revealed himself that, uh, that revival has broken out. The two great revivals that have happened here in the United States uh, happened whenever people recognized the presence and power of God. He revealed himself to them. That's what it's going to take in our country, is for him to reveal himself. And so I encourage each one of you for that to be your prayer in the days and weeks and months ahead, because we need it, our nation needs it, the world needs the Lord to reveal Himself to individuals in a way that He hasn't in a long, long time. So begin with yourself. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. Ask Him to reveal Himself to your children. Ask Him to reveal Himself To your spouse, ask him to reveal himself to your leaders, to everyone, because that is where true humility begins. Is whenever you finally realize who God is and who you are, and it comes from His presence much more than anything else. Childlikeness, trust. Teachability. I want to get back to the, your humility. We've talked about uh, with me, childlikeness. I read that passage where it said, uh, "You can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a little child." And uh, that's what these three, three things are. And I just—I didn't know scripture. I didn't know what it all meant, but I accidentally followed the pattern. Uh, I became like a little child. I became teachable because I was broken and I was humbled already because my life wasn't going the way that it should go. And so I was teachable before him. I was humble before him and I obeyed him. But it began whenever I just, uh, I said, let me know if you're real and then Whenever I realized that he was real, he was God, my sin separated myself from him. And I realized there was nothing I could do to undo my sin, but that the cross was the answer. And I called upon Jesus. All of a sudden, he was right there. It says in scripture, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When I called on his name and just said, Jesus, help me. He revealed himself to me. He was right there in the room with me. And I have not been the same since. John Wesley tried and tried in his own power, and his own strength, until finally, finally he realized that it was the cross, Jesus' cross, that made the difference, that it wasn't his works that made the difference, it was what Jesus had done to him. Humility comes when we realize all of that, and whenever that happens, His presence is made known. His power comes, and John Wesley was never, ever the same. Teachability. Whenever Moses first came to know God, he had question after question, just like little kids. When kids get around three or so, how many times do they say why? Uh, how many times do they ask you, why are trees green? Why is the same color as grass? And all these different things. They have questions, but they have those questions because they want to know. They are teachable. They want to learn. And so that's the way we must become. Instead of arguing with God and trying to use His Word Uh, to get our way from Him and from others. Instead, we see it as our direction, as His Word to us. And we become teachable and we can become obedient. And then, trust. Trust. Once you discover that He is for you, you can't help but trust Him and know that He has your back. And so those things all go, to, go together, but then there's something else. There's another aspect to being great in the kingdom, and that is service. But let me tell you that service follows childlikeness just like a little puppy follows a toddler. Just like a puppy follows a little girl or a little boy. Proper service, the kind that God's talking about, is going to follow. Because you can't be His. You can't be teachable. You can't be listening and not realize that you need to be giving yourself to others in a right way. So I don't have to go into that very much. But I do want to, uh, to, to, you know, there's so many, how many, there are tons of one another's in the Bible. I don't have time to go through all the one another's. In the Bible, first of all, we need to serve one another. Then we need to serve uh, those that are outside of the church. We need to serve uh, all the way up and down. Now, some examples of these people who of some people who have followed this, who have uh, humbled themselves before God and then been exalted. Albert Schweitzer. Wound up this uh, tremendously intelligent, well educated man, gave himself to serving in a little village in Africa. Mother Teresa made who's who, I don't know how many times. She was considered great, even though she gave up everything in her whole life and devoted it to taking care of the poor in Calcutta. Father Damien. Gave his life in a leper colony in Molokai, Hawaii. Hudson Taylor gave himself uh, to the suffering and the lost in China in service of God. Florence Nightingale, the English nurse, uh, looked after the wounded and soldiers in the Crimean War and became known as the founder of uh, of modern nursing. I'm just going to close up with the one last example that kind of ties it all together. In Scotland, in the early 1800s, 1810s, around in there, there were two little boys. And as they grew up, these two brothers, they were brothers. And one, as he grew up, he wanted to be rich and famous. And he pursued becoming rich and famous The other wanted to serve the Lord with his life. He went on, this one who wanted to serve the Lord with his life, went on to be a well-known African explorer and missionary. The other one, the one who pursued to be rich and famous and to make a name for himself, has this written on his tombstone today the brother of David Livingstone. I think that pretty well sums it up. Two brothers, same household. One went after the Lord. One sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He humbled himself before God and he was exalted. The other sought fame, fortune, and he lost the very thing and wound up living in the shadow of his brother that could care less about fame and fortune. Let's say it together one more time. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Aw oh, man.